Welcome to Humans of Fintech, the podcast where I share the inspiring stories of diverse leaders bringing equity to financial systems through fintech. I'm Nicole Kasperson. In this episode, I sit down with Danny Fava, the head of product innovation at InvestNet. In this episode, we talk about the ways that necessity breeds creativity and why that led Danny into the fintech space. We also talk about women of color having to pave their own paths in male-dominated industries and why it's important to create new systems in traditional industries. We're also going to get very real about the future of embedded finance and why it's way better for humans to build sustainable wealth than just another investing app. Danny is the real deal and icon in the wealth tech industry, and I'm so excited for you to hear this episode with Danny Fava. Enjoy. Danny Fava, thank you so much for joining me on Humans of Fintech. I've been waiting maybe in the last year, three seasons that I've been doing the show. I've been waiting to have you on it. I can't think of a better duo in fintech than this right here. So thank you so much for joining That's me. That's a huge compliment. Thank you so much for having yeah, me. Yeah, Very course. happy to be here. Yes, live in Williamsburg. So I want to start the conversation with the pinned tweet on your Twitter profile that says, when I was a young single mom, I automated my job without telling my boss so I could come in late. That's how I got into hashtag fintech. Necessity is the greatest catalyst for creativity. A hell of a tweet. Will you please explain and elaborate further? The origin story. Yes. <laughs> sure. I'd love to. Um, I love telling the story now, even though uh, back then I did not love telling the story, which was I was a uh, single mother, very young. I had my daughter at 19. I was still in college. I finished college, bartended through the last couple of years to pay for rent and I went to work uh, shortly after graduating. Actually, not shortly after. I waited about a year because I was making more money bartending. <laughs> <laughs> so I did I did go to work. I went to work right on Wall Street for an investment manager. And I had to drop my daughter off at daycare. She was about three years old at the time. So dropped her off at daycare every morning, took the express bus into Manhattan, long commute. And I had to be at work at 8.30 because... I had to run trading reports for all of the traders, wow. print them out, staple them together, and put them on everyone's desk before market open. That was part of my job. So you can imagine mornings being very stressful. Jeez. Uh, I decided there's got to be a better way. Does someone really need to sit here, run these reports, press the print button, and go grab them? Can I automate this? And I was using a, a technology platform at the time, which was... It was a little bit open. You can you could kind of like type your own commands in. And I figured out how to run these reports, schedule them, and send them to the printer all in one kind of I, I call it I call it a hack. I hacked into this platform yeah. to write my own code, to write my own jobs. And that bought me an extra 20 minutes in the morning, which was golden. And I remember one day getting a phone call from that technology company. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm in so much trouble. <laughs> Busted. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. And they offered me a job. They said, you know, we, we can see what you did. We know that you know how to write this code and, and we'd like to offer you a job. So I took it. And the rest is history, so to speak. I've been uh, in fintech, innovating, solving problems, like you said, necessity is the greatest catalyst. 
Gosh, that is such a unique and interesting story. Was there any hesitation at all? Like when this company was like, we'd love to hire you to work in fintech. Were you like, what's fintech? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they called it fintech at the time, to be fair. This is a long time ago. There was certainly hesitation. There's still hesitation. I, I have to be honest. I mean, confidence is challenged all the time when you work in in innovation you really have to be your own biggest believer first and that's difficult it's difficult for most people it's certainly difficult for me i'm a a member of the lgbtq community i'm a hispanic female in finance you know so confidence is difficult some days so yeah there was hesitation then and there's always hesitation uh, as i embark on new ventures in my career but so far, I'm I'm able to push past it. What tends to be the harder piece of hesitation to get over? Is it more of like, I know how challenging it can be as all of the dimensions that create you in a male-dominated, a white male-dominated industry. Is it more of that? Is it more of like what you said about how it's a constant challenge to be in the world of innovation because you're probably constantly questioned and all those things, they kind of tie into each other. They really, they really do tie <laughs> into each other. And I think it's more being a brown female in finance. Mm-hmm. I, I do not believe that I would be afforded multiple failures. Yeah. I do believe that failure is the greatest teacher and I do believe in failing fast and learning quick. But I've always kind of tilted my head sideways when someone says fail, fail fast, fail often and Mm -hmm. said, will the industry that I'm in, the white male dominated industry that I am in, allow me to fail? Yeah. And I think knowing that, feeling that is what sort of looms over me and makes me question my certainty and my confidence sometimes. Mm -hmm. I, I do not believe I would be allowed to fail and continue forward. So that's where a lot of the hesitation comes from, I think. And then, you know, there's this idea that's been kind of floating around my head that I'm going to try out on you (laughs) because I've been wondering what led me down the path of innovation beyond the origin story that I told Mm. you. When I was working for TD Ameritrade, I convinced my boss at the time, who's wonderful, to allow me to be the director of innovation. And I had this pitch and I said, I'm going to do, you know, new fun things in the pursuit of new revenue and new opportunities. He was very supportive and we got that done. Now I'm the group head of product innovation at InvestNet, which I'm also having a fabulous time. But I've been questioning, why did I go into these innovation roles, right? Was it simply because I love solving problems and finding new ways to do things. And I really do love creating new revenue opportunities, new revenue streams. Or is part of the reason why I chose innovation because I didn't see myself represented running traditional core businesses. Was anyone going to give me the job Mm -hmm. of running sales, of running ops, of running product? I never saw anyone who looked like me doing those jobs. So I carved out my own job, right? I carved out my own space in the industry and said, I believe I can do this new thing Mm -hmm. because I am this new person that you all have never encountered. (laughs) 
<laughs> probably yeah. in your professional right. career. And, right. And there's probably a sense of like, you know, maybe they'll accept me more because I've created something new and now it's innovative. And oh, okay, of course, you know, maybe they'll be more comfortable with listening to a brown woman in finance to talk about something that's modern and innovative as opposed to leading something more traditional. Right. It's more comfortable for them, right? That's yeah. what they expect. They yeah. People in traditional finance, um, and I use people, you know, in the broad sense, I know that there yes. are obviously wonderful people in this industry who are very progressive and, and, yes, and yes. liberal and open-minded. Yeah, I've got a podcast filled with them. <laughs> yes, a podcast <laughs> full of them. But, you know, I'm going back many years and in, a, in, in most of the industry was very homogenous. Mm-hmm. I think they were just more comfortable with somebody like me in a role like that where I was doing something new. Yeah. Uh, it seemed to make more sense. And so now I've been kind of questioning, is that why I leaned into innovation? I love it now. And I, I don't mm. think I'd, I'd stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I've learned it. I'm really good at it. Yeah. Uh, see a lot of opportunity that I'm pursuing in the market with, in, with InvestNet. So I don't want that to change. But I'm trying on this idea that, hey, I think I went into this thing based on what I was seeing in the mirror and what I was seeing uh, in my environment. I think that realization is super important. And from my experience, you know, I tried the traditional media room. I tried the traditional newsroom. I tr- did it for you know years. And naturally my path led me down creating a community to help people who didn't feel like they belong in an industry find belonging. Like I don't think that that's so odd considering being the only woman or person of color or young person quote unquote in a newsroom. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I thought you were calling me young. I was like uh, I'll take it. <laughs> of course. I mean and yeah but like all of these things that make me considered different right in a traditional older male dominated space, you know, I created my own pathway as well. Yeah, you did. And, and I love your platform. I just want to take you. a second to say that. I thank mean, you. it is so welcome and so needed. And I'm like thank so you. excited for what you're accomplishing and that you've got such visibility and you're thank really you. like just you've created a brand that is great representation for the young, younger us, mm-hmm. right? Like way younger <laughs> right, exactly. to see this out there and say, I, there's a place for me yeah. in that industry. And I think that is so, so important. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It, I mean, it's like my mission to help create this workforce that is so much more diverse and more diverse and representative of the consumer that we want and claim to serve, right? And to help build more of that wealth. But like going back, you know, I, I can have that imposter syndrome too of like, I'm sure it's maybe almost more comfortable for, let's say, like a person with a traditional like finance journalist mindset to see me branch off and do my own thing. OK, it's comfortable. She like is going to do her newsletter. She's going to do her opinions. She's, she's going to do her commentary as opposed to like maybe climbing the ranks in a, like a traditional journalist route. But honestly, like that's how change happens. There's so many people that I've had on this podcast who say like, well, I was at Wall Street and I just saw how broken it was. So I I need to go create a fintech company that changes that. And I got to do it myself. Like, I'm never going to be the CEO here. So I got to go do it somewhere else. Yeah. I'm I'm challenging that so much in my brain because I I don't want all of us to have to leave the industry and, you know, pave our own paths. I want I want to see a time where the 
executive teams at these large companies Mm -hmm. that are delivering financial services. I want to see the executive teams look more like us. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to infiltrate, you know, the the existing institution and sort of change it from the inside. I think there, there are two ways to do this. And if you read critical race theory, there's, I mean, there's a lot on this topic. It's Mm -hmm. the right way to make change, to go outside and to build your own, Mm -hmm. or is the right way to make change to stay on the inside and infiltrate and change from within? And I I really think the answer is both, Both. right? Mm -hmm. We need people, we really need people doing both. Right. So if you think about it, that's kind of what we're doing. So like, I didn't, leave finance journalism I didn't leave the industry I'm still here I left a old newsroom but like and I'm doing it in my different way and same with you like you didn't leave but you are a part of you know I you could call invest in a startup if you, I mean <laughs> feels weird doing that but like, it's a 22 year old I feel like people call invest in a startup and I'm like what are we doing Anyways. you're very startup minded I have yeah. to say I was I'm very fortunate to have found the company that I work for right now investnet and when I left TD Ameritrade after the Schwab acquisition, I was very purposeful in finding a company that had two things, two very hard things to find. One that was young and entrepreneurial enough to accept innovation, right? You yeah. need you need some level of risk appetite and some level of, of hunger to want to disrupt. And mm-hmm. so that's that's one side of it. And the other side of it, though, is that you need to be big enough to be able to fund and take the risk, right? Mm. So you've got to be somewhere where your ideas can be funded, unless mm-hmm. you go out on your own and, and find funding that way, and somewhere where, where they're hungry enough to try to disrupt. And InvestNet is is both of those things in one company. So I really found the, the kind of yeah. the perfect. No, I, I love it. And I would say that that hunger to disrupt can only come from people like us with our experiences. Yeah. Right. Like because you have a hunger to disrupt the way that the industry looks and presents itself. And so you can take that feeling and then you can apply it to your yeah. your job. Like no, that's something that can't be taught. It can't be trained. It can't that it only comes with the experience of like I was a single mom. I'm a Hispanic woman, LGBT woman in the space. Like, yeah. And I want to disrupt the service of the people that we serve. I really yeah. do like people everywhere deserve the same financial technology tools intelligence that the upper echelon has access to right so i've got this also hunger to democratize investing planning all of the pieces of financial technology that investnet brings to bear i want to disrupt who the who is who's Mm -hmm. who is getting those services and i really believe that we can and i believe that we can solve the retirement crisis in America yeah. by placing the right tools in the right places for people. And so embedded finance, I don't know how much you want to get into that. It's kind of my favorite topic right I mean, now. I love that topic. <laughs> I love embedded finance. Is, the, is, I believe, the way to do that. Yeah. Well, I think the example of the impulse purchase that you shared at at future proof is massive right like yes. if what was it an average american spends three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime three hundred fifty thousand over the course of their life ah! at checkout on stuff they don't need <laughs> now imagine you take that amount of money per american and you put it 
in a retirement account that's being professionally managed with investments that are aligned to that individual's goals and their their time horizon and their their risk appetite. Imagine mm-hmm. that you could take three hundred and fifty thousand dollars per person and invest it. Like that, that solves the retirement crisis. And I think that's so powerful when you think of it in that way and to know that the technology exists to make that possible, that we can put those types of solutions inside of every micro moment that you have Mm -hmm. with finances. We can put Mm -hmm. that, I mean, every time you check out right now, wherever you are, you're being asked to round up to charity, which is wonderful. Imagine you could round up a little more and put it into your personal retirement account that's being professionally managed. Imagine you can have that at, you know, every time you check out online for a purchase, every time you log into your bank account, Mm -hmm. every time a friend pays you on Venmo or Zelle or Cash App, Mm -hmm. every time you have a micro moment in finance, we are putting money aside and investing it for retirement your eyes start to open up and have this aha moment Mm -hmm. like, yes, that is embedded finance and that can really change the trajectory on Mm -hmm. on retirement for millions of Americans. Mm -hmm. Unless you're someone who has gone through an experience of even like seeing, you know, go into a community where there isn't a lot of wealth and, you know, see what is going on right there. You'll see the impulse purchases. You'll see the, there's the, it's the distraction. Like, let me distract the fact that I feel like I don't have enough wealth by buying, right. By like being a part of this, like consumerism mentality and just distract myself with whatever I can, whether it's like one thing that I just get right before I I leave a store but it takes being able to like know that that's going on and, you know, in those communities to even want to yes. ensure that we're embedding something else. And I like that, like such a nod to our bestie, Daniel Crosby, to all of his behavioral finance work, because it's getting to the heart of human behavior and realizing like, OK, so we have the technology. It's all mature enough. Maybe instead of like trying to create some magical like technology solution, we actually just create a solution that impacts human behavior to switch to stop doing things that are bad for them and help them want to do things good for them. Daniel Crosby is my favorite human. He's like, (laughs) he's got like, he's got, he really does have the answer. (laughs) Yeah. That's macro, right? I'm, I'm trying to um, approach it at the micro level, just embedding in each moment that you can do a little bit of that. You can do a little bit of that every time you check out or you hit the buy button. What Daniel's talking about is a real behavioral shift, you know, that we can actually make people feel good about what they just saved. And I think overall, you put these two things together and and yeah, you've got really something incredible. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh. You know, the, the behavioral aspect of embedded finance, at least with what we're doing at InvestNet, it really threads through every piece of what we're embedding. So we're embedding investing solutions inside of consumer apps Mm. so that you can think about your investments, see your investments every time you get paid, every time you are thinking about your money, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to see your investment account sitting right next to it. So you've got an extra $10, just move it right into that Mm -hmm. investing account. The other thing we've done behaviorally is we've created these really unique thematic portfolios. And I know that's kind of been a buzzword in the industry, thematic portfolios. But when we sat down and took a look at our target market and we said, 
what do these people want to invest in? And the answer is meme stocks, probably. <laughs> right? They want they want stocks that they're they're interested in, that are aligned with, you know, what things that they know and they love. Like Nike, you know, I I buy a lot of Nike, mm-hmm. so maybe I want Nike in my brokerage account. So we looked at that and we said, okay, well, we can't do that, right? Because we don't want to give a hundred percent stock portfolio mm-hmm. without diversification. So how do we how do we marry these two things together? Because from a behavioral perspective, you're more likely to stick through market volatility if your investments are. They mean something yes, to you. Yes, things you love. Right? They're things you love things and you care value. about. And so we've created an exercise portfolio, a travel portfolio, mm-hmm. a relaxation portfolio. <laughs> we've created portfolios that are focused on changing the world, like diversity and climate mm-hmm. change and community. And the way these portfolios look is that they really are well diversified and they're risk appropriate. So you've got, you know, your building blocks, your real foundational blocks of broad market index ETFs. I know we said we weren't going to talk a lot about. I know, work. but it's happening now. But I, it's happening. I, I'm sorry. I, I know, but I, have, well, I like it because I have questions. <laughs> no, you're good. Keep going. Keep it's going. got these. It's got the broad market index ETF and a fixed income ETF. You know, balanced based on your time horizon and risk. And then at the top, it's tilted with these individual stocks, these individual equities that Mm. you would care about, that I would care about. So if I pick the exercise portfolio and I see Nike and Lululemon in there, that's what I'm focusing on. It's my exercise portfolio. I call it hiding the vegetables. Yeah. We want to give you something that's really good and enjoyable and hide the vegetables. So we're sort of meeting this target market where they are. We're not giving them just, you know, a, a passive ETF portfolio that's that they don't understand doesn't resonate with them. We're giving them something that they care about. And and I think that's, you know, really the little magic sauce we've put into uh, embedded investing. Yeah. When you think about like actually getting this in front of the customer, what do you think is the biggest difference between, say, like an investing app that just focuses on investing and wants like. And has playlists like some of them do have like good playlists like you can invest in like women owned businesses and all this stuff. And they're great. I what you what do you think is the difference between like maybe something like that and then what you're able to provide? So they are great. And I've tried most of them. (laughs) I I mean, some of them are not great. I've tried some of them that I'm like, oh, this sucks. This is kind of (laughs) clunky. When I have to report all of my brokerage accounts to InvestNet at the end of the quarter, I I laugh at how many (laughs) how many many things you've tried and how many I've tried. And they are there are many that are fantastic. The difference in what we're we're doing with embedded investing is proximity. Mm-hmm. It really comes mm-hmm. down to one single word. And the example that I like to give on how successful embedded finance is because of proximity is in, is is lending pay now uh, buy now pay later. So buy now pay later is the most. Uh, let me not use superlatives uh, that I'm going to regret. It's a, <laughs> it's it's a product that nobody needed. Okay, and I think about the first time that someone walked into a room and pitched buy now pay later. They were like, "I've got an idea. Let's give people credit to make purchases." And then whoever was on the other end of that table said. Well, we already have credit cards yeah. and Google Pay and PayPal. What do we need this for? So it turns out, guess how many American, U.S. American online shoppers have used Buy Now, Pay Later? Oh, and gosh. it's only like three years old. I, I mean, uh, percent. 
percent? How many? Yeah. What percentage? What of, percentage of, of American US, American shoppers? Shop, American online shoppers. Let's like I'm gonna go crazy and say like sixty or seventy percent. Seventy five. Gosh. Okay. I'm Three of quarters of American shoppers have used buy now pay later. Yeah. A product that they didn't need. Yeah. Why? Why have, why do you, I, I don't think it's because they understand that, oh, this isn't going to go against my credit. It's because of proximity. Mm-hmm. The solution was right next to the checkout button. Mm-hmm. Proximity is. is, and that's where impulse buys come from, yeah. right? Back to the beginning. Exactly. Brick and mortar companies figured out this proximity, this psychology of proximity, Brick and mortar companies figured that out so long ago, which is why every checkout is lined with things you don't need, right? Because they know you're going to impulse buy because of proximity. Mm -hmm. That is the difference between downloading a separate app that has really cool features in it and remembering to go back to that app every day and remembering to transfer money into that app every day versus having an embedded investing feature inside of the app you already use mm-hmm. think of it inside of your your the app you use to pay bills the app you use to look at your savings the app mm-hmm. you use to do your budgeting right the apps you're already going to and mm-hmm. spending time in if we create a proximate investing solution i think that is the big difference that's the difference you had mentioned that also in the in your speech at, at future proof shout out future proof which oh what was it? It's like how many how many hours of brain power, brain power are spent? <laughs> that on? one I, I I think the calculation was that we have spent uh in twenty since twenty twenty a combined total of five hundred million years of human brain power looking at our phones. <laughs> <laughs> ah, anyways, yeah. Oh gosh. Anyway, but that's that's a pain point that I do feel with the investing apps, and I'm like you. I'm like you. I try. I try them all. I mean, right? They like want me to, so like I write about whatever. But I'm like, I'm opening something else, and it feels almost like can, it can feel distracting. And I'm like, I don't know. I really need to like make sure my emergency savings is good. Make sure I got my debt in order. Make sure all of this. And like, I really want to do this, and this is fun and play. But like, I got. But I don't need another app. But like, I got, yeah, like, but I got like stuff. <laughs> I'm like my banking apps and my my banking app and my TikTok take up a lot of my time. Yep. I need like TikTok is a great place to embed investing. By the way, think I mean, of creators on TikTok. Think of creators that are yeah. making this income on TikTok or like YouTube, and they're making really poor financial decisions with the money that they're making. Mm-hmm. Imagine TikTok had an investing account where you could just say 10 percent of what I make goes right into that investing mm-hmm. account it's, it's yeah. this is an ignored market and the technology exists to serve this market and create financial wellness so oh, yeah man this, so so exciting yeah it's, no it's exciting and i think it you know it takes like i said i think circling back to the top like it does take someone with the lived experiences that you have to bring this to the table because you know i often say like a lot of what's wrong with fintech and i I mean, you, you know, you calling it zero stars. I, that I loved that, but is the story of fintech is getting really misconstrued. And then also it seems like the industry itself can get kind of lost in that, you know, like we're supposed to be on this mission to help democratize access and wealth building to more people. Right. But, you know, how are we going to ever do that if the industry itself, you know, only has 
6% of CEOs as females or only has 2% of funding going to female founders or only has like doesn't have the diversity at the top or even throughout the whole thing. So that's like I think it connects so well what we st- talked about at the top to embedded investing and embedded finance. Otherwise, we're just going to keep having these very like Silicon Valley engagement nudging finance apps that people like don't need. I know I don't (laughs) need them. They stress me the F out. Yeah. Yeah. Venmo asking me if I want to see what my friends are spending money (laughs) on or uh, some other investing app, which I shall not name, Mm. asking me if I want to see what my friends traded no, <laughs> that no. is not a good use of my time. I don't want to see what my friends are trading. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I, know. I know. My friends like my friends are at the bar like, Nicole, you got to get into crypto. You're going to write about finance. Like you better get into crypto. Get some skin in the game, Nicole. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know. Like, do I really need to see what he's trading? Um, sorry, friend, if you're hearing me say that. But anyways, lightning round Ooh. to round up the conversation. So I do like to think aspirational. I do like to think a positive future, which I feel like we've been positive on this podcast. Yeah, we're like super excited about the future of fintech. So if we need to be the change that we want to see, what change do you want to see in fintech and how will you embody it? The change I want to see in fintech is I I want uh, fintech to be focused on financial wellness versus um, eyeballs, right? We all are trying to grab attention rather than uh, trying to make a difference. And the way that I um, hope that I'm embodying it is really taking the tools that have been reserved for the wealthy and bringing them uh, to market inside of consumer apps. So, I mean, that's not how I will embody it. That's how my work will embody it. But Mm -hmm. hopefully I can charter that uh, mission. Mm. I love it. Then I will maybe shift the question to something I've been wondering um, since we, when we talked about kind of you paving your own path and creating like an innovation role for yourself, you know, and, and all of the feelings that, you know, I get to in the male dominated industry, right? Do people still care about my newsletter? Do people want to hear about what I have to say? And the and the slew of newsletters you get is my like face one that you want to open up every time out of all of them. But um, how do you embody wanting to create maybe that better future for, you know, that next little girl or, you know, little yeah. boy or whoever, like yeah. or non-bar- non-binary <laughs> child that wants to maybe yeah. see themselves in this industry? I try to be very visible. I yeah. mean, I think you're doing an incredible job. So, and yes, your newsletter is the one I want to read. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I think that's a big part of it, Nicole. Women supporting each other. Yeah. If we could continue to do that, but not only support each other, promote each other, hire each other, yep. and really band together, there are more of us. <laughs> so we should. Yeah. We should be able to figure out this this worst kept secret, right? Mm-hmm. That we need to band together and really promote each other. And I'm doing a lot, I hope, to really be a proponent of, of women, of um, diverse talent in the industry. I, I'm, I know I'm one person, but I think if everybody, if every one of us behaved that way, we would see significant mm-hmm. change and quickly. I completely agree with you. It's Every time I get a uh, like a finance bro on Twitter calling me dumb, I just think about how important it is that I am sitting in this seat and promoting women and diverse leaders and people in the space because you're right, visibility is is everything and representation. All right, final question. 
What is one piece of advice you would give listeners who maybe feel like outsiders? Find your people. They are there. You need a support system. You cannot go it alone. Find your friends. Uh, find your allies. I promise you they're there. And uh, if you can't find one, reach out to me at ENV Danny. And I mean that. Uh, I truly do. I would love to hear from people and mentor people, connect with people who feel like outsiders. So that would be my my piece of advice. Well, there it is. You got a free mentorship possibility <laughs> with the Danny Fava. Danny, thank you so much. Honestly, you are like such an icon in the fintech space, in the wealth tech space, literally like a household name. I have been listening to you and and you know reporting on you since well before what the fintech existed so i'm so happy that we are sitting here together doing this this feels like such a monumental moment kismet thank you so much for having me of course thank you Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. To hear our next story from another diverse leader, be sure to tune in next week. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our show and give it a five-star rating as it helps our message reach more people who want to find belonging too. 